Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Cranberries, Meatloaf, Fiona Apple, Hootie and the Blowfish, Lamb of God. There are plenty of bands named for food, but few are as straightforwardly named or musically eccentric as Sacramento's Cake. They announced themselves in 1996 with a song that needs no introduction because it doesn't have one. You knew what was coming as soon as you heard this, reluctantly crouched at the starting line. And you also knew the rest of the story. This was a classic novelty hit. As purveyors of a goofy spoken word track with a memorable guitar riff, exuberant brass, and a satirical video, Cake was obviously doomed to go to the way of hidden jukebox alums, The Divinals, or Delight. Except that the band has gone on to have many more hits and a number one album 15 years after their breakout single. Today on Hidden Jukebox, The Distance from Cake's 1996 album, Fashion Nugget. I have three things to say here. Okay, one of them is that that wasn't really their first hit. Their first hit was Rock and Roll Lifestyle, That's right? the first okay. one that I was going to say. What's the second one that I'm going to say? I mean, if it's that Lamb of God isn't a food-named band, I disagree. No, it's that Hootie and the Blowfish isn't a food-named band. <laughs> It's I'm, I'm sure it's named they're named for some fugu that yeah. uh, that Darius yeah, Rucker ate. Everybody loves fugu. That's where, that's where the name came from. But you're gonna accept Fiona Apple. Um, I I mean, is it her real name? I don't know. I honestly don't know either. <laughs> um, the third thing that I was gonna say is number one album. A couple of years ago, we talked about our hero uh, Boogie with the Hoodie. Yep, and how mm-hmm. it was the lowest selling number one album ever to come out uh that dubious achievement was held by this cake album for many years really okay wh- which debuted at number one with forty four thousand copies sold interesting yeah like it's just like random right like it just so happened that it like dropped into like a hole in the in the release well, schedule i was thinking about that when i read about it and i'm like because i think it was pressure chief that that this, was uh, showroom of compassion okay so it was 20, 2011. Yeah. You know, people weren't really selling albums as much anymore. Like it was digital had really come into its own. But do labels and or bands think about that? Like look at uh, look into the future albums coming out and go, you know, nothing is coming out the weekend of August 20th. Hmm. I mean, we talked about this a little bit with the uh, uh, when we did Oasis or Blur and talked about the the Britpop wars because they were like label like Britpop releasing labels were definitely looking at that. Sure, I'm not sure anyone was looking at it in 2011. Nor did I do I think yeah. that Cake was the type of band going. How do we finally hit number one? Right. No, I'm not saying that it was that it was like engineered to fall into a hole in the release schedule. Just that that's what happened, like by luck. Then again, I didn't go back and look at what other albums yeah. in 2011 sold. So maybe it was the number one selling album of the entire year, for all I know. Probably not. <laughs> fair enough. Unfair to Cake, but fair enough. Yeah, I also, so so the, the two albums that I think came out around the same time that I always think about, like, that was a number one album, or this one, and uh, The King is Dead by The Decemberists. Yeah. Right? Right. Like like nothing against Cake or the Decemberists, but they just don't feel like number one album kinds of guys. Well, that's part of what this episode is going to be about, which is how the distance uh, falls into everything going on in 1996 and the 90s in general and how it became such a big hit when they're such an unusual, unique band. Okay, let's do it. So... John McRae, the lead singer of Cake, still the lead singer of Cake, uh, 
said it would be hard to replace him as the lead singer of cake i think i don't think they're going to do like an in excess like find our new lead singer type of thing well this band has had 15 different members they're always a five-piece band they've been through that many people the only original members are john mccray and the trumpet player whose name escapes me right now okay um is it is it de fiore is that the trumpet player okay and everybody else has cycled in and out but but you're right like even Di Fiore, no offense to him, like you could find another trumpet player to do this stuff who could learn everything. John McRae, you know, I, I think I bring up Alice in Chains a lot where I'm like, well, Lane Staley's dead. That's That band is over. They were able to do it. Yeah. I really don't think with this band that they could do it unless they found a John McRae impersonator. Oh, like Journey. Right, right, right. Um, You know who they could get? Like, that just scares me. Mike, a, Doty. a guy from the Philippines, <laughs> a, a guy from the Philippines, or Mike Doty. I feel like could fill in for John McRae if he had to. I'd be pretty stoked to see that. That actually. would be pretty great. So, uh, John McRae said of this song, "It is a song about success and failure, and failure of success, really." Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> he went on to say, "It's a sad song because there is." No success. You can explode into the world with great magnificence and still feel like the guy underneath the Mickey Mouse head with the fan batteries that have stopped working properly (laughs) and it's dark under there and everybody wants your autograph. Okay, that's that's a pretty good answer. Like, I feel... Okay, so that does not surprise me because... In 1996, when they were on tour for this album, I interviewed John McRae and one other member of Cake at the time, I don't remember which one, uh, in their van before the show. Uh, I was writing for Microsoft Music Central at the time, I think. And uh, like of people that I interviewed, John McRae is the one I especially remember for like, I am, have no patience for your dumb questions that I've heard a million times before. And like, it, it was totally fair. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was like brand new to this. Like, I had like a paper sheet of questions that I was going to ask. And he was just like, come on, man, like, like quit looking down at your sheet. Let's just have a conversation. And uh, so like taking, you know, someone asked him like in 2019, what is your song from 1996 about? I was like, I don't give a fuck. Here's what's funny about that is I've watched interviews with John McRae and I couldn't tell when, when you were saying that, whether you were saying he couldn't take the questions that you were asking him that you'd heard him that he'd heard a million times before or you couldn't take the questions that he was asking you that you'd heard a million times before. <laughs> no. God, these goddamn musicians always ask me the exact same questions. <laughs> yes, I write for a living. No, I don't make any money. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't remember him asking me any questions. <laughs> Get it over with. Um, so I found out about Cake because the uh, father of my high school girlfriend, shout out to Kendall, uh, somebody who actually does listen to this podcast regularly kendall or kendall's dad kendall's dad i don't think listens to our podcast kendall definitely does um he was a very intimidating man in Uh, in what way oh we would i would get invited over for dinner and we would sit at the table and everybody else would have a conversation and he would sit at the head of the table slowly cutting his steak with his steak knife and taking (laughs) bites and not saying a word like if I say the wrong thing, this guy is going to stab me. Or if he finds out what terrible things his daughter and I have been doing because we're teenagers, he's going to st- one way or another. This guy is going to stab. Me. Did you did you kill a man like together like in season two of Friday Night Lights? Well, we shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Everyone, that's a rite of passage. Yeah. Um, 
so he was also a huge music fan, though, and it was the one thing that we bonded over. He had, like, this great collection of CDs, like, huge. So he showed me, like, Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones, mm -hmm. and I can't remember who else, but he shows me Motorcade of Generosity. Uh, often he'd, he'd pass these things on to Kendall, and I heard the album from the very beginning, heard Comanche, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what this is, but I really, really dig it, and I've heard nothing like it ever before. It is so unbelievably, unbelievably unique, and it's not just because of John McRae. No, it's, no, not at all. It's the whole band. They're kind of Texan slash uh, mariachi yep. band slash hip hop sound. Okay, this is this is an absolute, complete, and total tangent. Are you familiar with the band Mariachi El Bronx? Yes, I am. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, this is something that came onto my radar just like within the last couple of months. Like, if you've never heard this, listeners, uh, the Bronx is a is a punk rock band from Los Angeles, I think. Um, and uh, they did a like what was going to be like a one off side project just because they absolutely love mariachi music and did a mariachi punk album called Mariachi El Bronx. And it was so well received and they had so much fun doing it that I think they've done like five or six more of them. Nice. Um, which, which reminds me that I was going to say when I found out that Cake was from Sacramento, if you'd given me a hundred guesses as to where Cake was from, Sacramento probably wouldn't have been on right. the list. It, it's like. We say all the things that they, that they sound like, and then it's like, Sacramento? How? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but it's interesting to think about the fact that that really John McRae has been the only constant member, except for the trumpet player, because, like, the, you know, the guitar sound of Cake is very distinctive, and the bass, you know, the sound of Cake is very distinctive. So, like, where is this coming from? Oh, I was so surprised when I heard that Greg Brown... This is the only song on the entire album, Fashion Nugget, that he wrote. The guitarist, he, The right? guitarist. Um, he, I thought he was like the sound of cake, and I was sure when I started researching this that he must still be in the band, because I actually saw them in 2017, mm -hmm. and as I've talked about many times on this show, I respect a band that creates a sound that they can keep going with throughout... 30 year, a 30 year career and don't go to the edge of their abilities. And so Cake sounded exactly the same as they did in 1996 when I saw them in 2017. And yet it was a bunch of different members. Greg Brown recorded this album, did this tour, and then left the band along with the bass player. Uh, and they started a band together called Death Ray after that, the, the guitarist and the bass player, Victor okay. Damiani. I didn't know that. What, what does Death Ray sound like? They sound like watered-down indie rock. All I right. was so excited. I'm like, holy shit, these guys have another band. I cannot wait to hear this. And I listened to their entire debut album, which didn't come out until 2000, even though they formed in 1997. And it's... Just not good. Sorry, guys. Okay, but I still might check it out because I feel like watered-down indie rock is kind of most of what I listen to. There you so. go. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's just not amazing. So it seems like if we can if we can sort of try and like piece together what happened, it seems like this band came together of like, you know, uh, a bunch of guys who like, you know, all brought like sort of their individual style and, and merged it into this, uh, you know, salad called Cake. 
Uh, and then everyone but the, but the one guy left the band and he replaced them with guys who sounded like the original guys. Either that or said, hey, you're only joining this band if you can sound like these two albums. Right. So, so it's sort of like a Ship of Theseus situation. Ship of Feces? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Um, so some of the bands that Kate gets compared to. Yeah. Pearl Jam. No. (laughs) This is, I went to allmusic.com and it it gave a list of of similar artists and so included Fun Love and Criminals, Beck, and Pearl Jam. I I could kind of see Fun Love and Criminals a little bit. Um, I'm surprised that Soul Coughing was not on that list. Oh, they probably were. And then... I would have gone with uh, King Missile and They Might Be Giants. Yeah, bands, oh, bands that are funny, but also they can play. Exactly. Like Frank Zappa famously asked this question, does humor belong in music? In fact, had an album called Does Humor Belong in Music? <laughs> and and it was something that, that, for lack of a better term, he was serious about, where, where it's like, where do you draw the line between comedy and being taken seriously? And I love a band like cake or like King missile because it's humorous, but you also have to respect what they're doing musically. I have a a recommendation at the end of the show that ties into that. So perfectly, right there. There are many bands that do this. Not all of them can pull it off. Cake does it really well. Yeah. Um, So, all right, you you wrote that that this song is is almost a hip hop track, and I know what you mean because there are there are like some like stealthily hip hop elements to it. I mean, let let's start with that keyboard line. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a Dre. Lick. It's an it's- absolute Dre line. It's not it's not just the melody, but also like the the key the synth sound that's being used, and like I, I don't know what to call it. You might know this as as more of a musician than me, but like you know the the thing that makes Dre synth lines sound like Dre in large part is the the feature that that says like you know do a quick slide between notes, so there's absolutely no space between notes, so, so it's not. Boo beep, it's boo reep. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of legato, I guess. Yeah. There's, there probably is a term that I'm yeah. not thinking of right now, but I know exactly what you're talking it's, about. Because it's like it's monophonic synth synth sound, but but with like you know quick zips between notes, and that is the Dre sound, right? So it's also got the descending horn line on the pre-chorus, which is interesting because it's still going over this kind of droning guitar bass thing that's that's happening like they're they're not doing the descending line with the trumpet it also kind of gives it this hip-hop feel to it and the guitar i I feel like the guitar part on the verse like is sort of you know you could sample that easily for a hip-hop track and it would sound great and yet then you put john mccray over the top of it and even though he's kind of doing this rap thing i challenge anybody to go that's hip-hop Right. So this I thought this was so interesting. I have not listened to this album straight through for quite a while. And then I did yesterday and today. And I was so I kind of got it in my head that like John McRae either does kind of spoken word like this song, which I would not call rapping or singing. But there is a song on this album that is absolutely rapped and it's Nugget. Yeah. Um, So so he does all three. (laughs) Nugget's the shut the fuck up. song. Right, Right. Right. Yeah. So so he does all three. And and you mentioned uh Craig Finn who is Holsteady, right? Yes. Um 
fr- friend of the show, Rich McLaughlin, um, just went to the horse track with Craig Finn last week and went horse betting and won a bunch of money with Craig Finn. Because <laughs> Why? Because I mean, that's, that's the type of thing he does. Okay. Like, I went to L.A. last week, uh, side note, to see Coheed and Cambria. I've got mm-hmm. two stories here. One, I tried to hook up with Matt Pinfield because he's a friend of R- Rich's. It, sure. d- it didn't happen, but those are the type of people he hangs out with. He sure. goes and has brunch with Matt Pinfield when he's down there. My friend mentions to me while I'm seeing Coheed and Cambria, this is a complete aside, that Richard Christie, who is a member of the Howard Stern family, okay, regularly mentions on the show that he loves Coheed and Cambria so much that he wears a diaper to their shows so that he can <laughs> piss himself and doesn't have to go to the bathroom so he doesn't miss a note of the show. Okay, you could keep that to yourself. I have a... You could, but that's not what you do on the Howard Stern show. Oh, okay. I, for, I totally forgot. I have a meeting with my boss two days after I get back from L.A. He's like, what were you doing in L.A.? Oh, I went and saw a band. What band? Coheed and Cambria. And he starts laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? He's like, well, there's this guy, Richard Christie, and he wears a diaper to Coheed and Cambria shows. I'm like, am I the only person around here that doesn't know about this? <laughs> um <laughs> that's great how was the show the show is amazing and now i'm thinking about starting to wear diapers to shows regularly because apparently i've been doing it all wrong this entire time how how long is the show like i feel like i mean it's i'm a middle-aged o- man but i can hold it for- it's only an hour and a half <laughs> I, I, I got to the end of the show i'm like well, I didn't have to go to the bathroom during the show. I wasn't yeah, I mean, even no, that no, close. No offense. Like, if you if you do need to, like, fine. Maybe but, you got a small bladder. Maybe yeah. you got prostate issues. I don't know. Uh, but you mentioned Craig Finn as somebody back to back to what we were talking about. As, sometimes sometimes does spoken word and sometimes singing. I have always thought of I'm blanking on his name, the lead singer of Interpol. Oh, oh, is it Ian's? No, that's that's Ian. I'm thinking Ian Curtis of Joy Division, who he sounds like. No, yeah. but but he also kind of does this. Yeah, he, you're right. He's, you know, he's talking, he's singing Paul Banks. Thank you. Um, it It's that same sort of style. I'm sure that if you ask John McRae or him whether they're influenced by each other or think they do the same thing, both of them would be like, no way, not John a John McRae would say something about like a Donald Duck costume. <laughs> what? <laughs> he said the thing about the Mickey Mouse head. Oh, true. <laughs> Ian Banks, that's the guy who likes to perform in a Donald Duck costume that lights up, right? Yeah, that, that guy. <laughs> Um, okay, one thing that I didn't, I don't think I ever really noticed before until listening to the song this week is that the, uh, there's a variation at the, in the outro of the chorus guitar riff, you know, the, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, it changed, they change it up at the end of the song in a way that is really cool. I didn't notice that. We should, maybe we should, uh, play it now. I don't, I don't have it rigged up to play, but I can just pull it up on my phone. Okay. And I'll put it, I'll put it in the, uh. Because I know that the chords are kind of changing at that point because they're doing the ah uh, ah uh, singing yep. part, which also doesn't happen anywhere but the end of the song. Which brings me to one of my points about this song is it builds really well. Yeah, it starts completely a cappella, then brings in the bass, then everybody kind of comes in together, and there's this galloping thing that's going on during the first verse. And it builds into like the shout chorus. And by the time you get to that, everybody's going, 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, this is great. I love how the bass, like, it's so gimmicky but works so well. When the bass comes in, it sounds like a car engine revving up. Totally. Right? I, I saw somebody say that this entire album is kind of about cars and cruising through California. Sure. And listening back to it, it it mostly is except for a strangely placed cover of I Will Survive. And a cover of Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps. Right. I guess there are two. Okay, here we go. How do they replace him? <laughs> like, like replace him like three times. I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, his his guitar approach is kind of surfy. It I would is. say, right? Yeah, like like it's it's not Dick Dale, but it's Dick Dale esque. It's Dale esque. Yep. Um, there's another aspect to Cake's music that is included in this song that must be brought up: the vibraslap. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, can you can you try and describe what a vibraslap looks like in a way that someone who hasn't seen one before would understand what you're talking about based on listening to our podcast? Okay. I it, dare you. It looks like a pair of kitchen tongs. Mm-hmm. At the end of one side of the kitchen tongs is a hollow triangle. Sort but of like it's a, not like a duck bill. But shape it's not kind of quite thing. hollow. It's got a bunch of rattly stuff inside of it. Yep. On the other end of the tongs is a wooden ball. When you hit the wooden ball against the triangle, it all of a sudden makes this extremely unique kind of shaker sound it's in the intro to crazy train by ozzy osbourne which (laughs) is the most famous famous usage on it but john mccray who does play guitar for some reason is obsessed with this thing it is all over cakes albums they have six albums there there wasn't like john mccray's vibra slap phase he's always been in a vibra slap phase do you think someone has made like like if you look at like the cake wiki like someone has made a list of uh, which cake songs don't have vibra slap i think it would be a very very short list like i like i said i saw them live i actually 1997 and 2017 yeah i saw them live like 96 um and he keeps that thing hanging on his mic stand <laughs> so that good. at any point he can grab it and be like, oh, it's Vibraslap time. Yeah. Um, but but really like at the appropriate times, I think. Yeah. I, I, he's he's probably the best Vibraslapper of anybody out there. Um, we just watched the movie Metal Lords. Have you watched this? No. It's it's OK. Like it's a, it's like a teen teen movie about like a couple of kids who want to start a metal band at their high school where no one else likes metal. Um, and it's it's fine. But uh, they're like the song, the song D from Blizzard of Oz was in the in the uh, in the movie, along nice. with uh, along with some like classic Sabbaths and stuff. And so I, I found myself asking my kid, like in the in total dad fashion, like, have you ever listened to the album Blizzard of Oz straight through? Because it's really good. It's so good. It's one of the best rock albums of, yeah. of all time. Wasn't it the last Ozzy album that uh, Randy Rhodes was on before he yes. died? Mm-hmm. That guy was a genius. Yeah. I mean, one of the, we've probably mentioned it before, just one of the best rock god guitarists of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else have you got to say about Cake or about this song i don't know this this album is super nostalgic for me because like 96 was like when i got mar- moved to seattle dropped out of college got married got my first job uh you know was was writing about music and interviewed cake uh, so 
It's like, super nostalgic for me too because because Kendall's dad introduced me to the first album. When this album came out, I'm like, well, that album's his. This album's mine, and yeah. now I get to show all my friends that uh, I drank my coffee before it was cool. <laughs> right. Uh, I've known about this band for a while, and let me show you now how amazing they are. And then the distance becomes a huge hit, and I'm like, see, I told all of you. And and I still listen to them, and I still think that this is an absolutely great album. What's your favorite Cake song? Mine is Frank Sinatra. Uh, Frank Sinatra is a great song. Uh, mine is really obscure. Okay. Up So Close. What album is that from? That is from the first album. Okay. And it's then a I'll slow it. kind of waltzy ballad, mm-hmm. but the lyrics are genius. You know, okay, you know who else is clearly an influence on Cake is Camper Van Beethoven. You love Camper. I love Camper Van Beethoven, but I'm, but also I'm right. Like they're both very California, you know, like use lots of California imagery. And like if you listen to the last song on this album, Sad Songs and Waltzes, that almost could be a Camper Van Beethoven song. Sidebar. How different and how similar are Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker and why? That is a really good question. Uh, the answer is they. it seems like they're really similar, but every time I try and listen to Cracker, I'm like, uh, this this is kind of kind of bores me. I'm going to go back to Camper Van Beethoven, which is pretty much the same thing. For people who don't know, they have the same lead singer. Uh, who writes all the songs. Who writes yeah. all the songs, yet for some reason he decided he needed to. There are bands. a couple of uh, David Lowry solo albums that I really love. How different are those from Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven? They're pretty similar to both. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of uh, Mumford & Sons. Sorry, everybody. And Marcus Mumford just put out a solo album. And my girlfriend, Lori, is like, ah, have you heard the new Mar- Marcus Mumford song? I can't stand it. And I heard it, I'm like, I don't think it's that bad, and I don't think it sounds that different from Mumford and Sons. I don't really get what the problem is here. Is, is Marcus Mumford Mumford or one of the sons? Uh, he is Mumford. Okay. He doesn't need those sons. He's shown that he can strike out his own and still do the exact same thing. If you had asked me, is is anyone in Mumford and Sons named Mumford, and are they actually like like a parent and sons, I would have said, I have no idea. It might be like a Doobie Brothers thing. Great, great bookend, because it could also be like a Hootie and the Blowfish thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, one time, okay, then we'll get into recommendations in just a second. One one of my favorite memories from the 80s was listening to Casey Kasem's uh, Top 40 Countdown and him talking about the Doobie Brothers, and he said something like, and I can't do a Casey Kasem voice, but you know, in, imagine Casey Kasem's voice. He said something like, did you know that none of the people in the band are brothers and none of them is named Doobie? <laughs> one of the best things I've ever heard. <laughs> God, I was hoping that he said it, and none of them smoke doobies. I'm like, you, sir, are incorrect. Casey Kasem was not as square as his voice made him sound. Oh, I'll bet that he swore like a sailor the second that he got off mic. Sure. I think there are are tapes of this. It it was like the, who was was it who did the fuck it, we'll do it live? I don't, that sounds very familiar, and I don't remember. Became very famous. So what are you listening to? Uh, Okay. So speaking of bands that are funny but also good and make you think, uh, Kiwi Jr., who uh, are from Toronto, uh, an indie pop band, have a new album called Chopper. And uh, I'm more familiar with the previous Kiwi Jr. album because this one's brand new, but I also really like it. Uh, I just had to order a Kiwi Jr. shirt from Canada because it said King Crab doesn't care about time zones on it, which is a lyric from a Kiwi Jr. song. Thank God. (laughs) 
Um, and uh, the shirt has not arrived yet because it's coming via regular surface mail from Canada, but I hope it comes soon. Uh, and it's just like super, super hooky Canadian indie rock played by four guys who I saw in a YouTube comment. Someone described them as accountants at the office Christmas party. They're like, they're nerds in a way that's not like they're handsome rock guys who are like dressing like nerds because that's cool now. These are real nerds and their lyrics are so smart and uh, and so weird. Uh, and uh, the latest album has a song called Parasite 2 that is a joke of, on the movie Parasite uh, about how there must be a guy living in my house who's spending all my money and making my shirts <laughs> search shirts shrink <laughs> but but it's also a really good uh, yes. song yes all right kiwi jr um i i have to add in here favorite shirt i've seen in a while my f- new favorite band goose uh sell a shirt at their merch booth that says not 100 sold on goose <laughs> which is fantastic if you know who the band is and is fantastic if you don't know who the band is very good no matter what somebody walks up to you and goes i don't know what that shirt means but it's awesome <laughs> yeah that's really good okay domi, do domi and jd beck Okay, I've heard like one song from this. I know who you're talking about. Debut album, Not Tight, came out like two, three weeks ago. These kids are like 19 and 20 years old. One of them is from New York. One of them is from France. I can't figure out how they met because they're one of those purposely obscure bands. Like you read their own biography and it's gibberish. It's like, all like stuff about Mickey Mouse heads. Yeah, pretty much. Like, like it is. It is like you learn absolutely nothing about them anywhere. Nobody can figure out anything about them. But they perform live. It's not like they're like uh, the knife who always performed in masks and nobody knows what they look like. But they've they're like fusion jazz. Mm-hmm. Like you hear the beginning of the album, you're like, this is jazz fusion this is not my thing and then all of a sudden thundercat shows up and you're like well this is interesting yeah and then the next track anderson pock is there and then there's all, all of a sudden a track with snoop dogg and buster rhymes and herbie hancock is on the album and you're like am i remembering right that herbie hancock played a show recently in seattle is that possible yeah, yeah he he's only like 67 years old or something really Maybe he's in his early 70s, okay. but he's not super old. Like, he's probably got 20 years of touring left in him. Okay. I Somehow, like, I, I imagined he was, like, Tony Bennett's age or something. No, definitely not. And and he's still phenomenal. Okay, yeah. Um, but it, it gives me hope for the future, knowing that 20-somethings are listening to bands like this and really digging it, because this is not very accessible music, most mostly... Uh, and they're, they've got a million listeners a month on Spotify. Uh, the other thing I'll mention, which needs no introduction, is Danger Mouse and Black Thought from The Roots just put out an album together that came out last week called Cheat Codes. Okay. And it's, you know, one of the best producers on the planet with one of the best MCs on the planet. And it totally lives up to the hype. That's great. Yeah, I think I think music is more interesting now than when we were young. Um. I feel like there's somebody who's going to argue that with you, but it's not going to be me. Okay. It yeah. might just be what we we were willing to listen to. We also grew up with a 
dad who absolutely loved jazz music sure. and and everybody lashes out against their parents music or most people so i still don't listen to jazz probably for that reason <laughs> there, there you go so if we if uh, and it's, it's not because i don't get along with with our dad no it's it, it's not like that for anybody it's just you right. know you, you can't dig what your parents dig because that's not cool yeah all right uh, so we, we were talking about possibly doing a little Shania Twain next time. I'm going to drop that just in case anyone wants to comment and make us do that. I do have an idea, but I'm not going to give it away yet. Okay. Why don't you tell us where, uh, they can find us? All right. Facebook.com slash hidden jukebox, Instagram, ju- uh, at jukebox hidden. Uh, you can find us and review us on uh, whatever podcasting app you love to use. Uh, anything else I'm forgetting? Did you say our website? Hiddenjukebox.com. That's it. Websites. People still go to those sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally. Until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.